Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The Murder of Claire Legato. Monday, April 15th, 2019. Cleveland, Ohio. Justice for my child. I want justice for the trans gender community. The family is calling on the county and the feds to open up an investigation, believing this to be a hate crime. We get the community to know that our lives matter, that we're not just disposable. The transgender community holding up their own candles as they fear who could be next. Our lives shouldn't be ripped from us like this. This couple traveling all the way from California, supporting a family they've never met, but standing up to violence they know all too well. This can't go on. This has to stop. People have to be aware of what's happening and to to really start thinking of trans people as human beings. It's Monday, April 15th, 2019, in the city of Cleveland. It's about 4 a.m. in the morning when 21-year-old transgender female Claire Legato wakes up to hear an argument between her mother and her stepfather, 61-year-old cisgender male, John Charles Booth. Claire woke up that morning hearing her mother, who shall remain anonymous, and her father, stepfather, John Charles Booth, arguing about a tax refund check. This had began around the early part of 2019 when they first filed their taxes. Claire's mother, who was under the impression that her boyfriend had received the tax money and had been spent it for himself, confronts her partner. And as they're getting into this argument about this tax refund, Claire wakes up. Again, it's Monday morning, it's 4 a.m. It's a spring day in Cleveland. Um, Claire, who's 21, uh, is getting ready to go back into college for cosmetology school just in several months. And so she's getting ready to take some exams. She had been studying for those. And then all of a sudden, she intervenes as her mother's keeper to intervene and speak up for her mom. And as a result, her mother's partner, Again, 61-year-old John Charles Booth grabs his gun, a 22 caliber handgun, and has this heated exchange with Claire 
And as they're arguing, Claire is defending her mother against John, who was now enraged that she's now confronting him about, you know, her mother's tax refund. John shoots Claire once in the left side of the head. She falls to the ground instantly. Shots have been heard throughout the city and the community immediately calls 911. You can hear Claire's mother screaming for help and neighbors awakening. Some were already getting ready that morning for work as it was 4 a.m. and can recall the franticness of the mother and also recalling John Charles Booth just getting up and leaving. And so, you know, as we delve into this case, you know, again, welcome my audience. Thank you for being here with me today. And I wanted to just take a moment and talk about Claire, you know, and this hateful homicide that happened on the morning of April 15th of 2019. Um, Like another one of our cases before, um, especially our season two, episode three, the murder of Letitia King, Claire, too, would be shot and then, um, unfortunately, placed in a medically induced coma for about a month. And she finally succumbs to her injuries um, on Tuesday, May 14th. And again, this was just about five months shy of what would have been her 22nd birthday. And so, you know, we have to ask ourselves as, as, as as a group, like, how did a situation between her mother and her stepfather all of a sudden lead to Claire being brutally shot just once in the head, laying on the ground, bleeding out, ultimately rushed to the Cleveland Memorial Hospital, placed on life support after undergoing surgery for several hours to have the bullet removed, her mother waiting by her bedside, her cousins, as we're going to hear testimony from him as well. This homicide, this hateful homicide of Claire, we have to ask ourselves, right? John and Claire, their relationship as stepfather, stepdaughter, mother's partner, uh, mother's daughter, however you want to frame that. We have to take a look in this case and understand what led to this man, 61-year-old man, who had been a father figure, who had been somewhat of, you know, a mentor to Claire for several years, from the time of meeting Claire's mother to knowing that Claire identified as a trans woman, from what we understand that John Charles Booth was relatively, um, I guess, okay or tolerant you know, of quote-unquote tolerant of Claire. And so there wasn't necessarily this history of, like, contention between them. But, you know, Claire did live at home with her mom as a 21-year-old Black trans woman, and she did have that support from her mom as well. And so that was a package deal. Claire's mom made that perfectly clear. And again, as you heard in the beginning of the audio, um, you could hear the anguish of Claire's mom wanting justice for her daughter, as well as justice for the community. I'm also, throughout this case, going to share some important information from um, our Transgrio founder, uh, Monica Roberts, who really had a conversation, may she rest in peace, um, had a really pivotal conversation 
in 2019, just a few months after Claire's death. I also want to make mention that Claire Legato's death is going to tie into a few episodes down the line with uh, our finale of uh, the murder of Malaysia Booker. And so those cases are literally simultaneously because you have Claire who is, you know, fatally shot on April 15th and then placed in a coma and then ultimately, um, you know, released from that medically induced coma and placed off of life support on that Tuesday, May 14th. And then within several days, you have in Dallas, Texas, the murder of Malaysia Booker. And so that's going to, you know, kind of plot to Zero. That's going to be our season finale. But we see this violence in 2019 more so um, than before. And we've talked about other years too, like 2018 with the murder of Kelly Stowe and how these cases have continued to rise. But for some reason, particularly in 2019, the year 2019, there was this astronomical growth of trans violence, especially specifically towards Black trans women in metropolitan cities like Cleveland, like Detroit. A lot of them were at the hands of, you know, dating violence going from. But then in this case here, which really stood out to me was that you had this, you know, again, vibrant 20 year old, healthy trans woman who was getting ready, you know, who was asleep here and her mother and her stepfather disagree about, of all things, money. And she wanted to get up and just, you know, again, be her mother's keeper, support her, um, speak up, just let John know to back up, get away. This conversation is getting, is leading to a violent um, confrontation. And so, unfortunately, though the violence didn't happen, it's unfortunate that the violence happened towards Claire, but also when you look at this, it's like she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's also what's unfortunate too, because we have to think about, you know, how this could have unfolded. You know, people have asked, where did John get the gun? Did he have one? Was this gun already present? Um, Did he have it on him? Well, according to Claire's mother, uh, again, who has been just so traumatized from this, as this is still a a relatively new case, and there's still, um, you know, some, some proceedings with that going, especially because when John initially shot Claire around 4 a.m. on April 15th, he then fled the home and so there was an um, intense search for him you know and they did ultimately um, capture him and arrest him and charge him with felonious assault and that was around April 16th of 2019 that Tuesday when he was captured and so you had from that 16th of April until that Tuesday of May 14th where his charges were just felonious assault he was not allowed to be released on bail. Though he didn't have much of a criminal record, but because of the severe nature of Claire's wounds, um, just the sheer brutality of being able to just shoot this 21-year-old girl who identified also in a way as his stepdaughter, um, you know, the prosecutors felt that he would be a flight risk. And so he was again in jail when Claire was taken off life support and then those charges um, were dismissed from felonious assault to second degree murder and so you know again as we go through this case it's really heartbreaking because we have these conversations about the violence towards our black trans women and then again how does this correlate into the day-to-day lives that we go through as black trans folks we 
are going to school, you know, as we continue to talk about this case, we're going to get some, you know, testimony. I'm going to, you know, provide some quotes from, you know, Claire's godmother, as well as a really good high school friend. And so you really get this, you know, characterization of Claire and who she was to people and how she really impacted those around her. And you could hear again in the beginning of the episode, her mother's anguish and wanting that justice. And also just the impact of the the violence of this case and how it led from people traveling right abroad coming from other states to to this candlelight vigil and so you know again um i wanted to share with you all that claire according to her best friend fred stated once you got to know her she was basically that best friend you always wanted when you were growing up when you were going through something she knew how to make you feel better And so, you know, you get this kind of idea, this really depth idea into who Claire is, her character, about how she can make others feel better. And I think what's essential about that is that she always wanted to make people feel better. And that's what she was doing that morning of April 15th, right? There was no, there was no intent of her hurting her stepfather. There was no intent of her, you know, trying to um, de-escalate the situation that would result in her being shot. It was really just her realizing, hey, it's early in the morning. You two have been arguing now for several hours. I have woken up to this. I just want to get some sleep before I have to go and take these tests for cosmetology school. And then all of that was taken away just within a three minute argument with her stepfather about just telling him to back off from her mom. And so, you know, again, it's just really heartbreaking because you know, Claire just really, really was so fun. And so, you know, I I just wanted to take a moment and talk a little bit about Claire Legato. Again, she was born in November of 1997. And again, her hateful homicide happened just five months, four months before her birthday. And I share that with you all to give you an idea of what Claire was looking forward to. She had actually started to prepare for her 22nd birthday. She was a planner. She liked to be able to have the sense of idea of what was going to happen in her life. And so she was really preparing to get herself back on track. She had taken some time um, to just really focus on herself and figure out what she wanted after high school. And so her godmother, her mother, her friends had all encouraged her to get back into school because A, she was really good at doing hair. She was also just really good at connecting with people, which is really important with doing hair. And so they thought that it was time for her to get back in there. And so while she's getting ready to go back into cosmetology school, in lieu of that, she's also planning her 22nd birthday. And so one of, again, as you heard the quote from her friend Fred, he was really helpful with preparing for that. And so they were actually going to meet later that week to go over a potential venue and all of that stuff as it was going to, her birthday was near the Thanksgiving holidays. And so you know it was really just this sense of like what was lost and you're going to hear a little bit of that in a moment from again Monica Roberts um, talking about these lives that are cut short these young lives of our black trans women specifically being cut short and of course our brown and indigenous trans women too but really this high number specifically towards our black trans women and I think also for myself as a black trans woman you can't help but wonder 
what is it about our specific demographic, right? Our marginalization that makes us such a threat that would then result in the hateful homicide. Did John C. Clair, this five foot five, 115 pound slender, you know, female, what threat did he see from her? Again, him standing at 5'11", you know, 190 pounds, this 61 year old trans and cisgender man. And he targets this trans woman who was all she was trying to do was defend her mother. And so what really triggered him, right? We And, and, and that's where, you know, I, I think we have to take a look into the psychology and psychopathy of John. His characterization, according to a psychiatrist who, and then the psychiatrist is Dr. Flynn Thompson. And Dr. Flynn Thompson talks about an interview that he did with John Charles Booth. This would have been around February of 2020, just about nine months after Claire's hateful homicide. And in the interview he does with John, because John and his defense team was stating that, you know, uh, there was financial stress in the home and John who was kind of in between employment and all of that. So by that morning of April 15th of 2019, John was under immense pressure and between Claire's mother, who he had been arguing with since around 1.30 that morning. And then you have Claire who intervenes around 3.57 a.m. According to Dr. Thompson, John snaps. He felt very targeted. He felt very uh, tag-teamed by both Claire and her mother, according to him. And this resulted in him taking the gun out of his back pocket that he had on him, right? So we asked earlier, what was that gun? It was on him. And he then pulls it out and shoots Claire. You know, Dr. Thompson asked John why Claire, and not necessarily her mother, who he had been arguing with for about two hours. Well, John expressed that him and Claire, though they tolerated each other and got along to some degree, um, he was uncomfortable with her gender identity. And, you know, I think for him, according to Dr. Thompson in his notes, um, he quotes saying that, you know, John Charles Booth is a danger to society that he has this rage in him that at any given moment, again, if released, could be a danger to society. When we look at the arrest report of John Charles Booth, this man who doesn't really necessarily have a criminal history, but he did um, back in the mid 1980s, around 1986, um, he did actually have an exchange with a, a cisgender woman and pulled a gun on her. It was a robbery attempt, but um, he was arrested for that and uh, pled guilty and ultimately was released in 1991. And so that is kind of the only notable um, police charge on his record. I mean, there were some tickets and things of that nature throughout the years, but that was the kind of um, the most violent thing. And so, but what that shows us is that John has a propensity of using guns and that he carries a gun and that he had a gun on him that morning of April 15, 2019 in Cleveland, Ohio. The home that Claire and John and Claire's mother all shared was on East 147th Street, um, north of St. Clair Avenue in the Collinwood neighborhood. 
the Collinwood neighborhood is a unit of Metro housing units. And this is where Claire, her mother, and her stepfather, John, were all residing that morning when the hateful homicide occurred. And so, you know, it's just, it's really pivotal when we think about how John just could not handle Claire. This this young woman, 40 years, his junior, we have to be mindful of confronting him. And, you know, it, it, and Claire's mother talks about that exchange briefly um, as she was being interviewed early on, on the scene and also at the Cleveland Police Department. And she asked, she was asked by Detective Paul Magney, what happened? What led to this conflict? And of course, Claire's mother states that John and her had got into an argument that morning. She had been asking him for a while to what was the tax return according to uh, the bank records, bank statements that had been a deposit because they had a shared um, bank account, her and John. And so she had noticed a deposit a few days prior around April the 9th. And so um, she confronts John that morning, that Monday morning, as she stated that there was bills and things that were due. And John said that, you know, he was going to give her some money from the tax refund. Um, Claire's mother had also been included in that tax refund process. So she definitely felt like as someone who shared the household with John and was entitled to part of that money. John disagreed. The two argued intensely, loudly, according to other witnesses in the Metro units who could hear statements such as, you owe me, um, bills are due, you need to step up. John, you could hear him stating that it's my damn money. I do with it as I please. um, I'll give you some when I feel like it or if I feel like it. So these are some of the exchanges that Detective Magni is getting right on the scene as Claire's body is being then at this time around 4.45 a.m. been escorted to Cleveland Memorial Hospital. And so again, you have Detective Magni and his team who are being, you know, who are interviewing Claire's mother and other witnesses. Again, we had people around this Monday morning who were getting ready for work. Some were actually getting ready to leave their home when the shot rang out and again called 911. There are at least 10 911 calls that morning um, regarding the hateful homicide, or at least at that time, the hateful shooting of Claire. And so, you know, this this really this tragedy that unfolds is just so it's troublesome because it's a growing rise of what we see amongst really our cis men, our cisgender men, these are, again, and we've talked about this terminology of cisgender. And for my audience who may not know what that terminology means, for for us as trans folks, we have always felt othered. And so one of the things that we've created is inclusive language and also other medical professionals to have supported this inclusive language with using terminology such as cisgender to identify those who were uh, born Um, within the body that they identify and the gender identity that they identify but also still expresses and lives and identifies that way to this day. So John was born male and he still identified as male making him cisgender male. So I just wanted to uh, reiterate that as well for any of, uh, of the audience who may not know what cisgender means. So John, this cisgender male um, 
of privilege too. We have to also look, yes, he is a black man, but he is also a, a black man of privilege. You know, he, um, you know, had a, not a business, but you know, he did also have like this delivery um, service that he would do occasionally, like food delivery service. And then he also drove a taxi around as well. So, you know, he had some resources and he also was misogynistic. He did not believe in any woman cis or trans confronting him especially about things such as money or how the household was ran um john's um, ex-wife also stated in an interview later on um, again in 2020 about her relationship with john back in the early 90s after he was released from prison and she talked about this ability of john to be charming but he also wanted to control the money. And when he had lost that control or confronted about the lack of resources or finances that he was supposed to provide, he would become enraged. And sometimes, according to his ex-wife, Sheila Booth Murphy, she stated that John would then grab her by the arms and pin her down and yell at her and tell her, not to confront him. So again, you can, and this wasn't documented. She never reported this to authority. So we don't have a police record of this attack on her, but we do have her testimony that was um, placed um, into interrogation, um, joining the uh, interrogation that she had with uh, Detective Mackey. So you get this again, this idea of what John is capable of. And Claire's mother also testified to, uh, to, Detective Mackey about this violence that John could display when confronted. So she recalls that morning when Claire got up and just maybe a minute or two before John pulls out the gun because she said it just, you know, they were arguing. Claire was telling John to, you know, leave, you know, her alone. She's defending, um, she's defending her mother. And all of a sudden the gun is pulled out and John just shoots. But prior to the gun being pulled out and fired, she tells Claire to just go back to bed. Go back to bed. She, you know, she will handle it. And before she could even finish that statement, um, as she's looking at Claire, she all of a sudden sees her child on the ground. And then she sees the man that she has loved for years flee and run off and this this woman again I, I understand why she wants justice because this has to be a very traumatized it is you know traumatizing for her to know that her partner her husband um common law husband murdered one of her children a child that she loved and supported and accepted and lived with her and she's gone and so this is again this has just been very very overwhelming for the mother in this case and i i just you know i have to just really again just state the importance of these conversations that we have to have as as folks and community members of the lgbtqia plus i also um want to delve into just a little bit more information from 
and if you all remember season one a good friend of mine is Raven Noah she also does a lot of um, podcasting more video podcasting you can check her out on YouTube but she also covered a little bit about Claire's case and I just wanted to also give you a little bit of her input on this case his hateful homicide of Claire Legato Because what happened to her mother? She was defending her mother. 
and allegedly John Chuck, it was over income tax check. Allegedly, um, he stole it. And she protected her mother. The argument was over tax income tax check. Led to the shooting of a transgender woman, 21 years old. Something like Brandon didn't shot her in the head and killed her. And for what? For what? Now I don't know if she was the boyfriend or not. I mean, he was the boyfriend. John Bulls, who's 61 years old, is being charged with felony assault and connected. And so you can hear from Brave and Noah right this this anguish she too identifies as a black trans woman and i think what we have to remember from this case and and it was important for her to repeat that over and over again because i think what we have to understand as a community again is this violence in 2019 2019 we saw at least 30 trans women trans folks gender non-conforming people murder trans masculine individuals and out of that number 22 were black trans women and that number includes Claire Legato and again this was all over something as minute something as trivial as insignificant really down the line when we look at this right as a tax refund check of course when Raven Noel was reading this this is audio clippings from the initial um, the initial reports back in 2019. So since then, fast forward to 2021, you know, John has been charged with second degree murder. He is currently awaiting um, trial due to the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. He is still, you know, sitting in custody awaiting trial. Um, And we are assuming from what we have heard from his defense attorney, that that is looking like between 2022 and 2023, as they continue to uh, modify their COVID protocols and especially um, prioritizing their cases. With that being said, it's a concern that Claire's case could take a long time for justice to be served. And what you heard at that candlelight vigil in the beginning of this episode was Claire's mother wanting justice for her daughter because there hasn't been yet. John is still just awaiting trial. Um, He hasn't even had a court date placed yet. There's a possible date for 2022, maybe January 2023. So you're still looking at at least over a year before he would even go to trial and hopefully that would result in the conviction because from what we have learned from his defense attorneys is that they're trying to argue that Claire was being aggressive, that she confronted him. Um, John has also stated recently that in in recent uh, interviews with his attorney um, that was provided just a little bit of testimony without them giving away too much of the case, but he felt his life was in danger. And so this resulted in him shooting Claire. So that is the defense um, or part of the defense that he is planning to use. And so again, this is what we talk about in in these cases very often about the the blaming of the victim. And you, you can see that John is picking up on that same cue, like a lot of our other perpetrators who just cannot face the truth and face the reality that they did something horrible 
to someone simply for being who they are. And it has nothing to do with anything else. It has nothing to do with them not disclosing. It has nothing to do with them not, um, you know, them being violent. These are excuses that are used very often. And unfortunately, they are also justifications in um, in our justice system to where our community, especially Black trans women, do not get justice in these cases. So we are definitely, definitely gonna to continue to root for um, justice in this case. But this hateful homicide, again, it really grappled me um, just because of the fact that like you heard Raven Noah said she was defending her mother. And for us as Black trans women, to have the love of your family, the support of a family member, especially one like a parent, that is essential. And we have to understand that Claire and her mother were very close. And so you have this, this loss that this mother has to face, all because her daughter was trying to defend her. And Claire's mother has stated in a few interviews that she blames herself. She blames herself daily. Um, she thinks to herself if she would have just, you know, not argued with John at the home or if she would have waited till later. She said she'd rather it had been her. Um, you know, there is also with the prosecutors, they plan to also have a little bit of Claire's mother's testimony as well as his ex-wife Sheila's to talk about this violence that he has and that he had. And so um, with that being said, Claire's mother was in fear of her life when Claire intervened meaning that she had every right to be her mother's keeper and defend her mother. And so that is what the prosecutors plan to argue when this case goes to trial. But, you know, I think it's important for us to also just take a look at, again, Claire and her vibrant personality. Her godmother quoted her as just being a ray of sunshine that she loved to dance, that she played the clarinet, uh, which is where she slightly got her name from because of her love of the clarinet. She was very musically gifted. And also she could really dance. She had taken a little bit of tap and ballet. And so she was very flexible. And then she was really great at doing hair. Um, good friends from high school and classmates talked about her love of just, you know, doing hair and just really being artistic and expressing herself in that way. And so again, you know, you just see this young woman's life who was taken so shortly, um, cut so shortly and so heinously for simply just just defending her mother. And again, what I want to do now is bring up um, a clip from, again, our very own Transgrio. Again, we're so thankful for the Transgrio for um, supporting the hateful homicide uh, with the amazing blocks that they do. Shout out to DD Waters, who has taken on um, this, this amazing platform that Monica Roberts left us. But prior to Monica Roberts' death in 2020, um, so unfortunately, it came out of nowhere. And so we still miss her as it's been a year now since her passing. Um, but prior to Monica's passing, um, just a year before in 2018, she talks about the violence um, towards Black trans women. And I think this is very essential to give you an understanding because the trans like a hateful homicide, does a lot of work into this into this violence and murder and hate crimes of our community of transgender non-conforming and gender expensive community members. So I wanted to give you all of this context of what the community has been dealing with, as well as what 2019 looked like. The National Coalition of Anti-Violence Programs had issued some data back in 2017. And in that report, 
they reported at least 27 violent homicides of transgender and gender non-conforming individuals. Of the 27, 24 were transgender women. Of the 24, 19 were black transgender women. In 2018, the Human Rights Campaign also put out a report of their own in which they reported at least 26 known uh, hate violence homicides of transgender individuals and a majority again black transgender women and in 2019 we know of 22 and the year is not over and again the majority black trans women sadly for many of us who are sitting here or who are watching or who are just right outside of these doors um, this, these are stats it's data it's, it's headlines but for both of you it goes beyond that this is your lived experience, a constant risk of violence. Let's let's break that down. Start with you, Monica. Yeah, out of this year, the uh, 22 that we know of, 21 are black trans women. And of the 21, about 18 of them are under age 30. So that's a loss not only to our black trans community, but it's a loss to society as a whole. What would these folks have been able to accomplish if they had been able to live to my age of 57? Did we lose the next great business idea? The cure for cancer? Or whatever these folks would have been able to accomplish had they had time? Another aspect of this is that many of these murders are intimate partner violence. Let me say that again. They are intimate partner violence. So that's another conversation that we need to have. And again, though this case with Claire was not necessarily an intimate partner violence scenario like we have seen in some of our other hateful homicides. This was still someone that she knew, someone that she trusted to an extent that she shared a home with, she shared meals with, she shared her day with, you know, as someone who was like a father figure, a stepfather to her. And for him to have just shot her so callously in the head, this, this data that they were sharing for 2019, right? They started back in 2017 and led up to 2019. And again, that number, those 21 year, those 21 um, black trans women that were murdered and those 18 that were under 30, Claire was one of those, one of those 18 that Monica was referring to. So again, we don't know, right? When we talk about what could have been of Claire's life, could she have went on to play, you know, in an orchestra, a symphony? with the clarinet, do hair, do both. We don't know. And that's the tragedy behind this is that these lives are cut short and we need to make sure that we continue to raise awareness and speak out and speak up against these. And so again, Transgender Day of Remembrance, which this is November and Transgender Day of Remembrance is November 20th. And so as we prepare to go into Transgender Day of Remembrance, we're going to reflect this year on the lives that were lost to trans and gender non-conforming lives that were lost for 2021. And these numbers are continuing to grow. And so again, with the hateful homicide, we're hoping to see 
and please share please continue to share these stories so that way people can understand that this epidemic this plague of violence and hatred towards our community needs to stop cease once and for all but one last thing i want to share with you all as we prepare to conclude this case is just to give you again this idea of how these cases affect family members loved ones of the victims and so what i do is want to share uh, from a cousin of Claire's. His name is Craig. And so I wanted to share just a little bit of, of, of his of his sentiments regarding the loss of his cousin. And that is what he states, right? John Charles Booth is currently awaiting trial for second degree murder of Craig's cousin, Claire. And, you know, you can hear Craig briefly mention, you know, Claire being artistic, her being independent, um, about the time that she had moved out for a little bit, uh, when she had first graduated high school and again, being independent, but then ultimately moving back home to stay with her mother where the hateful homicide would happen. So again, as we prepare to conclude, I just want to say again, please, 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 please listen to these cases with an open heart and open mind and understand that this violence is real and that these cases and that these victims' voices matter. And I just, again, thank you all so much for tuning in and supporting. And to Claire, our love bug, we remember you yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever and always. We remember you, born November 15th, 1997, and resting on since May 14th of 2019. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of A Hateful Homicide. My name is Mallory Jenner Robinson, your host. You can follow us on Instagram at A Hateful Homicide. You can also follow me at Mallory Jenner 90. Please take a listen on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and we are working on going to Amazon Podcasts as well. Yay. Fingers crossed and updated. And then our website, ahatefulhomicide.com, is currently being revised and it will be ready to be reviewed within the next few weeks. And I will make a notification of that. Please use the hashtags A Hateful Homicide, Ah, Transgender Awareness, True Crime Podcast, Suspenseful Saturdays. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in on this Saturday. And please, I look forward to tuning in with you all next Saturday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you all so much and have a great, and I mean great, day. <laughs>